We're going to be in Isaiah 26 um, as we get ready to uh, continue the series that Nick started last week. As you turn there, just a reminder, uh, you may have heard the video announcements this Friday evening uh, on the 21st. We are having a night of prayer and worship um, outside. We're hoping that will allow not only those of you who are here in person, but maybe even some of you who are watching online who would, who would f- find it, you know, that you're able to be a part of something outside. We're going to do that outside with social distancing. And so just welcome you to be a part of that this Friday evening at 630. And also, um, we, are, we have ordered a live stream package, which is all the digital equipment to make live streaming better than it is right now. So if you're watching online, uh, that's supposed to get installed this week. Uh, and so, um, you know, barring any unforeseen difficulties with that, by next Sunday, our live stream experience should even be better than it has been. So uh, we've been patiently waiting on that now for about six weeks. So, so just want to give you a heads up on that. If, it, if, if it's better next week, you know why. If it's not, um, then pray for us. Uh, so, all right. So Isaiah 26 is where we're going to be. Last week, Nick started a series entitled um, Listen to the Music. Okay. And so the framework for this series is each week, Um, our worship team is sharing a song with you that they have written. So the point of this series is not to showcase the talent of the people here on stage. We already know they're gifted, they're talented, we appreciate them. But more than anything, what they want you to know and what they want you to see is the truth in the lyrics that we sing. And our hope is that after this series that you and I truly would take to heart this idea of listening to the music, that we don't wait until we get to the sermon to listen for the truth of God, but that everything we sing is coming out of this this rich resource of truth we call the Bible. And so what we're going to do is each week, the song that's going to be presented to you, the scripture it comes out of, that's the the text I'm preaching or the text that Nick is preaching. And so we're going to preach out of that text, and then the worship team will present the song uh, that was inspired and comes out of that same text. So that's our plan. We've got about Three more Sundays left in this, and then we'll return to the Gospel of John, uh, taking us into the fall. So there's the plan. All right, so we are in um, Isaiah 26. Uh, We're going to read the first four verses together. Let's read this. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks, Open the gates, and that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, the beginning of this chapter in Isaiah begins with um, a song that will be sung in the future. Okay, so whatever Isaiah is seeing, whatever the Holy Spirit is inspiring Isaiah to see and to write here, he's leaning forward to the future of something to come. Like that opening verse is in that day, meaning a forward day, a future day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Now what we're interested in today is is understanding what is that song and what does that song mean for us and when is that day? And the title of the sermon today, let's go ahead and lay it out for you, is this perfect peace. We just read here in this verse, this idea of perfect peace. And so for me, as I want to know what the song is about this future thing that's going to happen, what I'm reading automatically and and already is that in this song will be perfect peace. There'll be a song about perfect peace. And so our journey today is to first understand what is that perfect peace? How is that 
perfect peace, different from imperfect peace or a false concept of peace that I might see in the world around me. And then once we establish that, how do I get it? I don't wanna just know about it, I want it. If there's a peace out there that's better than the, the, this, this shifting peace that I find in the world around me or even in my own life, I want that perfect peace. And that's where we're going today. Now, as we think about the concept of, concept of peace and what we understand about peace, it's not a foreign word or foreign idea uh, in the society we live in, right? So I'm thinking back, I was born in the 70s, but uh, some of you were born like in the 60s or before, and so you were, you were maybe an adult or a teenager during like the Vietnam era. And so for you, you know that there was, there was a time where our nation began to stir up this idea of peace in a big way. There were peace marches, right? I remember just in elementary school, the popularity of the peace sign, you guys, if you were in elementary school in the 80s, you remember that, just the peace sign. You put it there on your jean jacket, right, with your, with your Jabot jeans, and, and, right, and everybody was talking peace, peace, peace. But all that we were talking about was this peace that is based on an outward circumstance. I need the war to end. I need, I need, I need all lives to matter. I need, now, I'm all for justice, but what we built is this idea of peace that's contingent upon the world around us being perfect, being in harmony, everything working out okay, and then we will have peace, this outer peace. Even in a personal way, I will have peace when my house is in order. I will have peace when my wife and I are getting along. I will have peace when my children are obedient and my friends like me and invite me to stuff. You see, all of those things, whether you're talking about war, you're talking about your own household, right? Those, those ideas of peace are contingent upon circumstances outside of you, okay? That's the world's idea of peace. If my job is stressful, the only way to have peace is to go on vacation, right? But let's be honest, even vacations can be stressful and chaotic. I just got back from one. And so for me, the, the ideal vacation is to be so far back in the woods and the mountains that I won't encounter any human beings that I didn't bring with me, and there's no way for anybody to contact me and interrupt that vacation. Okay, some of you are shaking your head, yes. Okay, I just spent some time out in the woods. And my boys and I went backpacking, and uh, it was beautiful, it's cool, kind of quiet. And, and so we accomplished our hike, we backpack out of the mountains, everybody lives. And we get back in the truck, like now that we've been living out of backpacks for a few days, let's go get a burger. So I get to back to some cell service and find this little uh, burger chop house that has great reviews. And so we go to Chappie's Chop House in West Cliff, Colorado. Boys are excited. I'm like, we're getting burgers. We're getting mac and cheese. We're going to get ice cream. We're just going to get everything we want, right? Everything's going great. It's great lunch out on the patio, some great conversations with other families. Boys are like reflecting on how thankful they were for this vacation. Like, okay, well, let's go get ice cream. Soft serve, I see it, let's go. So we go and we place our order for soft serve. And my oldest son's like, I gotta go to the restroom. I go, you go to the restroom, we got the soft serve, meet you back at the truck, we'll do this. Get back to the truck, I'm like, oh, it's, it's kind of hot. Even in Colorado, so we open it up, start the truck, I set the ice cream in, and I shut the door to open the back door for my son. I didn't realize that somewhere in the process, I hit the key fob, lock button, and so as I shut the door, I'm like, uh-oh, it's locked. This one's locked, the truck's locked, it's running. Now all of a sudden, my peace is gone. <laughs> I'm in the middle of nowhere with my boys, 
Truck is running, keys locked inside, our ice cream's in there melting, I can see it. <laughs> what am I gonna do? So, praise God that um, I was able to pull the antenna off of my truck and use it to roll the wind, to skip through there and roll the window down, because it was running, so I could hit the, I'm teaching you how to break into my truck, I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> but, all that to say, even, the, 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 even our best concepts of external peace can be interrupted like that and turn into chaos. Medical diagnosis, pink slip at work, flat tire. Somebody misunderstands what you say and they get offended and they lash out and all of a sudden now everything's in chaos and disarray and all that I thought was peaceful is no longer peaceful. Well, what's being described here is different from that. It's an inner peace. So the Hebrew word here is shalom. And some of you are familiar with that word. You've heard that concept, that idea of shalom, inner peace. But much like the American culture where really important words have become diluted and kind of surface level, like the word love, the word friend, don't, don't, those things don't mean as much as they used to mean. That had happened in the Hebrew culture for this word shalom. They had taken this concept of this completeness, this inner peace that can't be disturbed or disrupted, and they had made it kind of a, a, an everyday greeting so you greet a friend, you say shalom. You would maybe leave instead of saying see you later, say shalom. Now, it was well-meaning, but you can see over time it just kind of became diluted. It's kind of like saying, hey, how are you doing? Well, that phrase should mean something, but for most of us, it's just a simple greeting. I don't really want to know how you're doing. Keep that to yourself. I just need you to say good, how are you? Right? And so the word shalom had become like that for the culture. I'm saying that because in this particular text, the word perfect does not exist. It's actually the word shalom twice. So as Isaiah is writing this, he didn't want us to think about surface level, everyday use of the word shalom. It actually says shalom, shalom. Now think about that. You keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. So this concept of peace, this inner peace, is this deep level of completeness. I am complete. Now, I think we as a culture need to revisit the definition of some other words like sufficient, enough, contentment, right? In a culture that has no real concept of these, these things, right? Like the concept of the world around us is more, abundance, not enough. I'll be happy, I'll have peace if I can just have this. This marriage, this child, whoa, were we wrong? This job, this raise, this financial position, more. And then we get more, and yesterday's more isn't, right, is next weekend's garage sale items, and then today's more will be the next month's garage sale items. Why? Because we're continuing to pursue more, thinking more will bring us peace and happiness. That's the world's concept of peace. We're not talking about a peace that is contingent upon achieving more. We're talking about a peace that's contingent on what we already have. That what we have, not just physically and monetarily, but what we have, and you'll see today in Christ, is enough. It's enough. Now, Jesus talks about this inner peace this way in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, where? In Christ, in me, you may have peace. In the world, so there's in me, in Christ, and then now there's in the world. In the world, you will have what? Tribulation. Jesus could have used a lot of words to describe what you will get out of the world. 
He chose to use tribulation to describe it all. Yeah, there'll be some, some, some nice days, but there's gonna be some rough days. Days where you feel like you're on top of your game. There's gonna be a lot of days feel like a beating. I'll just, call it, I'll just call it tribulation. In me, you'll have peace. In the world, this is what you're gonna find, tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, in the American mindset, and we go back to Vietnam War, War, World War II, World War I, the concept, the idea was we want peace, but the only way to get peace is to win the war. Right, that was kind of the concept here. Justifying the war in order to get the peace. Now, that's almost true. But here's what is true. The war has been won by Christ. The victory is secured for us, and in that victory, so we don't need an earthly victory to have peace. Now, earthly victories are fine. Landing the job, winning the battle, right? Like Those are fine, but not the source of this shalom, shalom. We have this shalom, shalom, this inner peace from what? From Christ and his victory for us. He has won the war. I don't go to uh, politicians for my theology, but I I found a quote from uh, JFK, John F. Kennedy, um, about this idea of war and peace. And he says this, the mere absence of war is not peace. In context, he was trying to make sure the American people understand just killing the enemy won't bring you peace. If that's what you're hoping for, it's not gonna last long. The mere absence of war is not peace. John Bunyan, the author, uh, Christian Puritan from the 17th century and, and an author, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Um, he said this about peace, I think is incredibly helpful. He says, if we have not quiet in our minds, Outward comfort will do no more for us than a golden slipper on a gouty foot. I'll let that sink in. Put makeup on a pig, it's still a pig. What he's saying is this, like if you're hanging your hope of peace on things on the outside, right, you'll find no more peace than just trying to put nice shoes on broken feet or diseased feet or gouty feet. If you don't have what? This inner peace, this quietness of mind, quietness of soul, what the New Testament describes as rest, like real rest, rest for your soul. This perfect shalom, shalom, peace. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he describes this peace, and and this is a fairly familiar passage about peace that surpasses understanding. Okay, I'm gonna read that passage for us, because typically this comes up in like funerals. And we pray that for people who are mourning the loss of a loved one, that somehow they would get a peace. That doesn't make sense. This goes beyond understanding. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words, Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, I will say, rejoice. I love that. The key word there is always. It's easy to rejoice in the good times, but he's saying, hey, I'm calling you to rejoice even in the bad times, hard times. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the opposite of peace, isn't it? Chaos in the soul, anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's what'll happen. And the peace of God, what kind of peace? Which surpasses all understanding. That's Paul's way of trying to describe for you a peace that does not make sense. It's not pragmatic. 
It's not like there's an equation. If I have this in my life plus this in my life minus this in my life equals peace, that would make sense logically, right? He's saying, no, I'm talking about a peace that doesn't fit into an equation, that supersedes your circumstances, that doesn't make sense. It's not pragmatic. It's supernatural peace. Shalom peace. And then look at what he says. When we have this peace, it will guard your hearts and your minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. So Paul says, you want that peace? I'll say it's the same place that Jesus says that it's in. It's in him. Now we go back to Isaiah 26, this description of peace, peace, or perfect peace. And listen to what Isaiah says here as he describes, he says this, in that day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. So he's looking forward. We have a strong city. Now we hear that and we're thinking, oh, okay, so we're waiting for God to establish a city. So maybe this is like the new Jerusalem. This is the coming of God's kingdom on earth where Christ returns, rules and reigns, puts all of his enemies to death, and you and I become these these forever citizens of the kingdom of God worshiping Jesus. Now, that's, I believe, embedded in what he's talking about, but I don't think we have to wait for that to happen to have the peace because look at what he says. So this is a strong city. Well, what makes it strong? He says, well, here's what makes it strong. He, God, sets up salvation as the walls and bulwarks. So the protection for the city that Isaiah is describing is salvation. It's not brick and mortar, right? It's not a political system or a stability in the markets or an economy that's thriving and strong or a family that looks nice and neat on Sunday morning sitting in their chairs and all the children are well behaved and the husband and wife look like they just love each other. I can actually see the heart just you know, welling up over their heads and he said, no, 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 the, the, the fortification for this city will not be your circumstances and it won't be a physical city. It'll be the salvation that's only found in Jesus. Amen. To get into this city, you have to cross through the walls, through the gate of salvation. And then that's where you will find security for your souls that will bring you an inner peace, a shalom, shalom, that, listen, can't be disrupted by your circumstances. You know, King David, not only a valiant leader, he was well acquainted with tribulation and stress and anxiety and fear and running for his life. And not only was he you know, a profound leader in the nation of Israel, but he was also a profound songwriter. And we get a lot of psalms from David writing out, just kind of sharing his heart's feelings and thoughts. And in David doing that, we read these words in Psalm Four, David is writing out of a time of distress and look at what he says is so helpful in verse seven. Speaking to the Lord, he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when what? Their grain and wine abound. So David was writing out of a time of distress. He was thinking about other people, maybe other kings, other leaders, people he knew who were living in abundance. They had a lot of grain, a lot of wine, and David's saying, like, right now, in this moment, I got nothing, but I've got more joy than they do. I've, I got a joy and a peace that isn't contingent upon having those things. What he says, he says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Why does he say it that way? Well, because just laying down doesn't mean you sleep, right? When your heart's in turmoil, you've got chaos going on, you lay down. Sometimes it takes a while to go to sleep, doesn't it? David's saying, I lie down, but I don't I lie, I go to sleep. Like, I am at peace. And he ends, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
Establishing a kingdom doesn't make me dwell in safety. Having friends who like me does not cause me to dwell in safety. Having a relationship with, with a woman does not create safety for me. What, where do I get my safety? It's from you and you alone. So just as dangerous as looking for your peace in the world around you is this thing that happens in the modern day church where we try to mix and mingle the two. Peace in the world around me and peace in Christ. You can't do that. Like the, the point is Christ and Christ alone because if we add anything to it, he's no longer sufficient enough, right? And so in the world around us, we know we see these false ideas of peace, peace that's, that's contingent upon winning the war, establishing the thing, being successful. In Christ, we have a peace that isn't contingent on those things, but what happens oftentimes in the modern day church, especially in the United States, where we're so comfortable, is that we hold on to Christ with one hand, and then we hold on to circumstances in the world with the other. And we, we try to mix and mingle those two things. I am, I am at peace in Christ and I will be at more peace when I get the job I've been applying for. But that's not what's being described for us here today in Isaiah. We're talking about a peace that you have regardless of whether or not you get the job, the raise, whether or not your friends like you, whether or not your spouse likes you, whether or not your kids respect you, whether or not your ambitions come to fruition. A peace that is not contingent upon the world around you. And that peace can only be found in Christ. And listen, in Christ alone. Amen. Not Christ plus something equals peace, but Christ and Christ alone equals peace. Like, here's where we lose sight of that. Like, you realize that most of the Christians who are on the earth right now don't live in the United States. Most of them don't and therefore don't enjoy the opportunity together like we do here on Sunday mornings, even with the COVID difficulties. There are a lot of places on the face of this earth where believers are meeting to worship. Let's just start with without air conditioning, without lighting, and we just keep going down the list. Without physical safety, there are Christians today, different time zone today, meeting in worship in like a secret house, okay? So, if our peace is contingent upon getting to do this, what happens when you can't do this? Amen. You with me? Yes. So we have to understand, listen, Christ followers, regardless of whether things are going well in my life or I'm facing difficulties, the shalom, shalom, perfect peace of God is available to me. So now we've established that. The question is, how do I get it? <laughs> I want it. I want, do you want that kind of peace? Right? I was talking to the last service about this idea that I'm gonna go on vacation to get peace and get a break from the chaos. I don't know about you, but it takes me about three days for my mind to quit spinning, right? The anxiety of all the things to think about and to remember and the next thing to do and the next thing that we gotta prepare for. And I just, it takes several days. By the time I get to the end of vacation, I'm like, oh, I feel like I can relax. And now I gotta figure out how to get home and step right back into the chaos. So how do I get this kind of peace? Where does it come from? So we go back to Isaiah 26. So in verse two, we read this, open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Verse three, you, speaking of God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. 
And so now this brings up this kind of a theological debate within Christianity on the idea of salvation. Is salvation permanent or not? And there's kind of a debate here about, well, can you lose your salvation? Maybe you've thought about that, right? And so there's some scriptures that, that kind of lean towards that idea of saying, he who uh, remains faithful to the end will be saved. Hebrews 5 even talks about, uh, seems to talk about this idea of if you lose your salvation, you can't gain it back. However, there are tons of scriptures that talk about the idea that you and I are secure in Christ, secure in the hand of God, can't be plucked out of his hand. Uh, Romans 8 talks about how uh, you and I who have been saved, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. God predetermined that. Uh, Ephesians 1 says that our salvation is rooted in the foundations of the world, right? And so, so as a church, we land on this idea of security of salvation, Perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved. We can discuss that later, but that's not my point right now. I love this wording because here's what it says. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter. You keep him in perfect peace. So who, who's doing the keeping here? And here's, what I would, here's what I would propose to you. Regardless of where you land theologically, when you step into eternity with Christ, either at your death or at his return, your boast will not be, I'm so thankful, Jesus, I kept myself in the faith. I'm so thankful I was faithful to get myself into heaven. I think the boast of every person there will be, praise you, Jesus, for keeping me. I love that. You keep me. The book of Jude is just a little short book in the New Testament. It's one chapter long. And listen to just a few verses from the book of Jude. Verse 24 says it this way. Now to him who is able to keep you from what? Stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who's doing the keeping? Christ is. Who's doing the presenting? Christ is. And then listen to this boast, verse 25. To you, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. I love this. Your peace is found in one place on earth. It is in Christ and him alone. So this Isaiah 26 picture here is this forward-leaning prophecy, this, this promise to come, a song that will be sung. I believe that the city being described here is not only referring to the new Jerusalem, but I think it's also referring to the church and the role of the church to be the kingdom of God here on the earth right now. Like the church, not the building, the people are the city. What are the gates? What are the means by which we enter in? Salvation. He who is saved is in. You're part of the city. That we would shine like a, like a beacon of hope to the community around us and say, this is a safe place. You want peace, you can find it here. You want shalom, shalom, you can find it here because it's found in what? A relationship with Christ and we would love to introduce you to him. So now we come back to, again, this question, how do I get that peace? Anybody want that peace? Is it just me? I want that. Holy cow, I just told you about my vacation. That didn't work. Marriage is going good right now, but I'm not trusting in that bad boy because I'm in it. I'm not trusting my kids making me happy. <laughs> Love them. Nah, I want the kind of peace that isn't contingent on what's happening in the world around me. I want this inner peace. How do I get it? 
So we go back to Isaiah 26. You keep him in shalom, shalom, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want the perfect peace of God? You've got to trust him. No longer trusting in your circumstances, no longer trusting in your ability to pave a way for yourself through this world, no longer trusting in your ability to, to build a perfect marriage, a perfect family, a perfect career. You want the peace that surpasses understanding that doesn't make sense. It is found in trusting in Christ and him alone. Some of you, that may be why you're here today. You didn't maybe realize that's what you're looking for in life. I want that. So for some of you today, it's, it's, it's this. It's an invitation. It's, it's me just, just all but begging you. Like, take that step of faith. Trust in Christ today. Do not leave here today without taking a step of faith to trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And I want to add to that. Christians in the room, those of us who who try to take the hybrid route. I got Jesus and I got my career. I got Jesus and I got my family. I got Jesus and I got all this stuff that I'm doing. And that's where my peace comes from. Could today, could we just let go of that, that former? Because listen, the hybrid version is just as dangerous. Because what happens when you're trusting in Jesus and you're trusting in your health and you get a cancer diagnosis? What happens when you're, you're trusting in your career trajectory and path and success and everybody's looking up to you and Jesus and then you get the pink slip? Right, so today, not only for those who don't know Christ, but for us as Christ followers that we would let down, lay down anything else that we're trusting in to say, I am trusting in Christ and him alone. Jesus says it again, I've said these things to you that you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation, but in me, you will have peace. Where do we find peace? Perfect peace. It's in Christ alone. In Christ alone. So we're about to uh, get to listen to a song from our worship team that they wrote. They actually have, lead us, have led us in singing this song before, Remind Me. And that song was written out of this passage, this Isaiah um, 26 passage. But I love the chorus of this song because I think they capture the heart of this idea that our salvation is our fortress. Our peace is found in Christ alone. The chorus says this, yes, the work is done. Jesus won. Remind me, Lord, remind me. What I bring won't change a thing because Jesus won. Remind me. You're unchangeable, immovable, and I trust in you, I will trust in you. We're about to sing that declaration together, but could we mean it today? Could we mean it? All right, I'm gonna pray uh, for us, and then our worship team is gonna come back up, so let's just pray together. Um, God, I, I thank you that this, this great city that we're reading about in Isaiah 26 is, is open to us today, that every person in this room has been invited into the city of your salvation this eternal relationship with you that brings us joy and peace that, that surpass understanding. God, anybody here today that, who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we're praying for that person right now, that that person, even while I'm praying, would, would take a step of faith to trust in Christ and him alone. God, I pray that that person, if, if they need somebody to talk to, would just come grab one of our pastors and we could be a part of that. And Father, I'm also praying for our church as a whole. 
Um, God, we know that, Father, we are so prone. God, even those of us who know you, we're prone to trust in other things. So, Father, could, could today just be a day of, of, of abandonment for us as a church, that we would lay down anything else other than Christ? Maybe even for somebody whose life is going great right now, everything seems to be just rocking, that they would just take that step of faith and say, you know what? I'm not gonna trust in that stuff. I'm gonna trust in Jesus and him alone. But I pray that this church could be a house, a city of shalom. A place where when we enter in, Father, we encounter the, the perfect peace that can only be found in Christ. So Father, now we ask for your Holy Spirit to work among us. Stir in us, convict us, encourage us, heal us. We pray all these things in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ.